Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This morning as we were in prayer before service, just the word that bubbled up in my spirit was the word surprise. That Jesus wants to surprise us today. He wants to interrupt where we're at. And he wants to touch us. And he's right here, right now. I love that story of Bartimaeus, which I just learned. Timaeus, it means literally son of fear. But he, he cast aside his fear and he cried out. And when they said stop, he cried out all the more. And then he threw his cloak aside and he came before Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. What do you want today for the Lord to do in you? through you, for you today. Won't you come? We're just going to invite you to step out. Right now, I'm going to ask elders, pastors, ministry coordinators, leaders, prayer folk, intercessors, come right now, please. And we're going to just call out to the Lord. And if you have a need today, if you have a need today, come. Come and receive from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Come. Elders, pastors, please come right now. All right, come and receive prayer today, right now. If you have need today, come. Come. You don't have to be shy. Just come and receive today, right now. Here we go. Now whisper his name. Come on. If you need healing today. You need comfort today. You need wisdom today. You need provision today. You need hope today. You need direction today. Whatever you need today, He is here. He is present right now, right here. Come on. Hallelujah. The Lord that God is with thee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that you, your hand is upon us and that we do not have to be afraid and we do not have to dismay. Amen. Lord God, we want to be bold and be strong. So, Lord, we just pray that you would cover our lives today. Lord God, as you come and speak to us now, let our hearts be receptive to hear your word as it comes to us. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said... Amen. All right. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We're going to do one more prayer before we get started. Um, this morning, two of our uh, 
Two of our members are out preaching elsewhere, so we want to bless them this morning in prayer. Uh, if you were, uh, by the way, can we say thank you to AJ for leading us today in worship? That's awesome. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much. Um, so you didn't see James up here this morning. That's because James uh, Underwood is out preaching uh, for the next three weeks. He's preaching uh, at a congregation that he's had some connection with, whose pastor is away. So um, we're going to bless James as he brings the word of the Lord there this morning. And Brenda Sund is out praying, uh, preaching today out at the church that her dad uh, ministers at out way west here. And uh, so Brenda's preaching today. So we got a couple of we got a couple of worship leaders who are preaching leaders today. So uh, we want to bless them. Lord, thank you for James and Brenda. Thank you for their lives. Thank you that uh, God, you are with them as they bring your word. We just pray, Lord, that you would release uh, your blessing uh, through their lives. God, I pray that you would uh, release your word through them today, Lord, to those congregations, and that those will be words that will bring uh, life into those congregations, Lord. Because, Lord, wherever you are, you bring life. So, Lord, we just thank you. And thank you, God, again, that we get to receive your word today here in this house. How grateful we are for uh, the blessing, Lord, of your word, which comes to us and speaks to us and transforms us. Do that work again today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. amen. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We are in the midst of a sermon series that is taking us through uh, chapters 8 through 12 of the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And again, just a reminder that when we come to the Gospel, we are coming to more than just simply a, kind of a historical record about a man who lived 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us that when we actually interact with the Gospel, we are interacting with the very life and power and presence of the living God himself. And so, um, I don't know about you, but I have just been challenged afresh as I have been uh, digging deep into uh, these passages of Scripture, many of them which are quite familiar to us, and yet each time I dig, I find new nuggets of gold, new, new nuggets of life that speak afresh into my soul today. And that's my prayer again this morning as we come to the Scripture. So today... The message is entitled, Calling All Sinners, and we're going to specifically look at Matthew 9, 9 to 13, and the calling of Matthew. So if you've got your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, pull the one out in the pew in front of you, uh, in, the, in the seat back there, and uh, find, I think, page 687, and uh, you will uh, locate the scripture with us this morning. It tells us as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, well, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Thus, the name of the uh, the message this morning, our theme, calling all 
sinners. Everybody say all. Say that's me too. That's me too. All right. So um, I want to first of all kind of pull out the lens for a moment just to give us a bit of context uh, for what's happening here because I think uh, in order to fully receive the impact of the message, we really need to understand the larger context here uh, involved. First of all, we um, just see that as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, uh, extra sermon points available if you can tell me the other name in the scripture for Matthew. What is, who is he known by? In other, Levi. All right. By the way, have I told you about my grandson? Levi, lately. He's a wonderful boy. All right. Um, But, uh, yes, his name was Levi, which uh, is interesting. Now, of course, Matthew, the gospel, is named after uh, Levi here, Matthew. But but Mark and Luke simply call him Levi. But Matthew, in a sense, self-identifies himself. And then later, in all of the accounts in the Synoptic Gospels, uh, he is known as Matthew when he's listed among the various disciples. But I, I think that's so interesting, um, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, let's, let's look for a moment here, the person of Matthew or Levi the tax collector. Again, here's the, the parallel scriptures in Mark and Luke. Now, um, we need to understand, again, uh, in terms of contextually, that a tax collector uh, in... Uh, you know, in, in Israel would probably have about the, the same level of social capital as uh, a drug lord in our day and age, all right? I mean, this was truly an outcast person. Um, the, a, a tax collector was, um, w- worked for the Roman government, uh, who was, of course, oppressing the people of Israel. Um, and as a tax collector, he was viewed as a traitor, as one who betrayed his own people, who was working with and for the oppressor. Not only that, lining his own pockets in the process because tax collecting was a very lucrative business and uh, those who uh, were, were particularly gifted at it were those who had uh, significant amounts of, of greed who, uh, who, who were interested in simply extracting as much money as possible from uh, the populace around. And so, so Matthew would have been uh, viewed as uh, literally the lowest of the low of the low of the low of people, all right? But it's interesting that his name, and, and um, after, after turning his life, and this is a little ahead of the story here, but um, it's interesting that his name Levi, which is a wonderful Jewish name, but gets changed to Matthew. Now, even more sermon points available if you can tell me what the name Matthew means. Anybody? That's right. Extra sermon points for Katya today. All right, good. Um, Gift of God. I think it's so interesting that Matthew, the tax collector, the total outcast, the betrayer, is transformed, and names are, of course, significant in in, in biblical times, is transformed from from that, from, from the moniker of Levi, the tax collector, to Matthew, the gospel writer. That encourages me because it means that God can take just about anybody. Maybe I shouldn't even put on, let me, there's no just about. 
He can take anybody and transform them, right? Now, you all know the story about centuries ago when workmen, workmen were seen dragging a, an enormous marble block into the city of Florence, Italy. It had come from the famous marble quarries of Carrara and was intended to be made into a statue of a, a great Old Testament prophet. But it contained imperfections, and when the great sculptor Donatello saw it, he refused it at once. So there it lay in the cathedral yard, a useless block. One day, another sculptor caught sight of the flawed block. But as he examined it, there rose in his mind something of immense beauty, and he resolved to sculpt it. For two years, the artist worked feverishly on the work of art. Finally, on January 25th, 1504, the greatest artists of the day assembled to see what he had made of the despised and rejected block. Among them were Botticelli, Leonardo da Vinci, Pietro Perugino, the teacher of Raphael, and as the veil dropped to the floor, the statue was met with a chorus of praise. It was a masterpiece. And the succeeding generations and centuries have confirmed that judgment as Michelangelo's David is one of the greatest works of art the world has ever known. We see a flawed block of marble. Jesus sees masterpiece. Aren't you glad? Can somebody say amen to that? Aren't you glad that he sees a masterpiece? I'm so glad. But let's, let's pull out the lens beyond just Levi for a moment because I think in terms of context here, so, so where Levi is at and in the context of the story, it, it, it emerges and becomes clear that Levi is actually, Matthew is actually a tax collector sitting in a toll booth on the major trade route that follows its way all the way from Damascus through Capernaum and on the way to Egypt around the sea. It's it's an enormous trade route that's there. And so Matthew is there. So when you you think of him in his tax collecting booth, he's he's there on the the trade route and uh, every parcel and piece of goods that has to come past has to come past and go through him, and he is the one who, who excises the tax that is going to be received, the fees that are going to be taken from those, uh, you know, from, from the caravan, caravan of goods that are going by. But now, I want to ask you, and, and this is for like, uh, I don't know, I haven't watched Jeopardy in about 100 years, but this is like the... the, the 5,000-point question, all right? Anybody tell me where in the Scripture might this road, this trade route, be talked about in the Scripture from a prophetic standpoint? Anybody? You can even make guesses. That's okay. Come on. Anybody? Where might this road? Where, if you remember vaguely back, we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Jesus in his hometown of Capernaum. Everett. It's definitely the road to salvation, but I'm actually talking about a physical road that happens here. A physical road that's going on. Anybody? All right. One more moment. All right. Narrow road, that's good too. The narrow road, the road of salvation, but this is not spiritualized. I'm, I'm talking about an actual road, physical road like 94 
running through, okay? King's Highway, okay, that's a good one, all right. Well, these are all really good answers, but I'm going to give you the answer now. All right, so the context is this trade route, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 9, 1 and 2. This is so significant, please don't miss this or overlook this. This is, this is part of that going deeper into the scripture. We read along, and we read along, and we miss something super important, all right? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. That is, the, that is the name of this trade route that goes right through here. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So what I want us to see this morning is that when Jesus comes along and interacts here with Matthew, he's actually stepping in to this prophetic scripture here in Isaiah 9, which goes on to talk about you know, a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and the kingdom of God. It talks about all of this. This is the very location that, that Isaiah was prophesying about where the light was going to come into the darkness. I'm so grateful this morning that Jesus had this interaction with Matthew and called him to himself. And this is the beginning of the unfolding of that prophetic word in Isaiah chapter 9. The light of God coming by the way of the sea. Hallelujah. All right. So, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm, I'm kind of getting excited. All right. So, now, I love what happens next. We have the, the calling that takes place. This is so interesting uh, follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, there were probably other tax collector booths there, but Matthew just gets up and, like one, um, one commentator that I read, uh, put it, I, I thought this was poetic, but, but kind of cool. He said he, he left everything, but he probably brought his pen because from that point on, Matthew was taking notes <laughs> for the gospel that he was going to write. He left it all behind. He left everything. Just like blind Bartimaeus, who cast off his cloak to come to the feet of Jesus, Matthew left all of his past behind to follow after Jesus. And while Jesus, and then it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. I love this. The first thing that Matthew does is invite him to his house for dinner, along with all of his friends who are those people. A whole group of those people gathered together to have a meal. All right? Of course, you're going to be a lot fresher scrubbed group at our house today. But, you know, here he was, Jesus, having meal together with those folks. I've shared this before many times, but for those of you that are new, this will come fresh to you. For those that have been around a while, let it speak freshly into your spirit again today. When Jesus calls us, there are really three calls that he makes to us. The first call is, come to me. It is the call of conversion. It's 
when he invites us to receive a new identity. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, Behold, the old has passed away. All things are new. When we come to Jesus, the old goes away and the new comes. It's, it's a, it's, we, we skip kingdoms from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From the kingdom of deception to the kingdom of truth. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There is a radical transformation that takes place in our soul, in our spirit, when we receive this new identity as His children. Secondly, there is the come after me, the call of discipleship. This is the invitation to grow into a new maturity. That should be Hebrews, not Habakkuk. Sorry, I, I missed the, uh, the, the letter there. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. Hebrews 5, 14. It says this, Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. We want to be taken forward into maturity as a people of God. And we do that as we come after Him. The third is the invitation to come with me. The invitation to come with me is the call of destiny. This is where he invites us to experience a new intimacy. As it talks about in John 15. Let's go ahead and read it just because I want you to, to hear these words afresh again this morning. This is his invitation to all of us in this room right here, right now. All of these invitations. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. called you friends. And, and please note, Jesus chooses Matthew here. There's a lot of people around in the crowds, and he says, and he pauses and says to Matthew, follow me. And, and the first thing that Peter, I mean that, I'm sorry, Matthew does is bring him into a home setting where they can experience the joy of sharing food together with one another. This is that beginning of that intimate friendship that Jesus desires for all of us to experience. He wants us to move beyond simply that new identity, though we never move away from it, but he wants us to move deeper into the place of maturity and even beyond that into the place of destiny where as his friends we begin to hear what he hears and we begin to be, as, as Mark shared, we, we begin to obey we simply are with him. I love that in Acts 4, of course, where Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin and they all looked at them and they, they, they marveled because they looked, took note that they were ordinary men and that they had been with Jesus. They'd been with him. This is the call of Jesus to follow after him. I have a short video that one of our... Um, one of our missionaries who works in a closed country, uh, somebody we're connected with, some of you know Kelly W., 
works with our unreached people group, the B people. And um, in her most recent letter, she sent this, and some of you have already seen this perhaps, uh, it's a YouTube video, but it's, it's quite engaging, and it's called The Lone Nut, but um, I want you to watch the video in the context of this invitation, this calling, so go ahead and put it up. All right, here we go. If you've learned a lot about leadership and making a movement, then let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons. First, of course, a leader needs the guts to stand alone and look ridiculous. But what he's doing is so simple, it's almost instructional. This is key. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. See, it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you brave ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut, and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd, and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers, because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point, and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute, you'll see the rest who prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is how a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, Remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over-glorified. Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. <laughs> Yeah, be that first follower, a critical part of leading is following and following the right leader. So in this call, this call to come to me, to come after me, to come with me, we're being called to follow, not the lone knot, but the very son of God himself, who's made a pathway for us to walk with him together.
All right. Now, of course, with that uh, unfolding of what's happening here, the, the next C after context and, and uh, calling is, of course, there's criticism. You hear the whispers going on when the Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples. Now, notice they, they weren't talking to Jesus directly. They, they figured this out fairly quick, that things don't go well when they try to, you know, directly address Jesus. He just sort of turns the questions back on them. But he says, um, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, there's always going to be a tension point in our following of Christ. There's always going to be a tension point for the church. And the tension points I've marked out this way. There's the the tension around the issue of priorities, really. The Pharisees had certain priorities. Jesus had other priorities. For the Pharisees, the priority was preservation For Jesus, the priority was multiplication. Do we want to keep what we have? Or do we want to continue to expand and multiply out beyond what we have? Do we exist for those who are present or do we exist for those who aren't yet here? It's always a tension point. A second tension point is the tension point between condemnation and compassion. Condemnation and compassion. Yesterday we had a very um, powerful Leader's Edge time together here. Uh, If you missed it, um, I would encourage you in the back. uh, You can sign up. We did tape it. Um, Andrew Gross, one of our elders and our uh, discipleship director here, did a brilliant job unpacking for us uh, issues that we... we, The the title of um, of the day was Inclusive and Transforming the Heart of Christian Community. And we discovered that, that there are ways that we can have healthy, positive interaction with, specifically, this was around issues related to LGBTQ+, kind of um, the, that, that whole community and that, that movement in our country. And, and there is a way that we can respond, as I believe Jesus would respond, with compassion. To speak to, to bring us into a larger narrative that is compelling and transforming. It was powerful, very, very helpful. But there's always that tension point, kind of the way I describe it sometimes is you can either be a well or a fence church. If you know about, um, you know, if you're going to, um, if, you, if, you're a, a, uh, if you're a rancher, you can either keep your cattle uh, you know, in your land by building bigger and higher and thicker f- fences, or like if you're in Texas or places where that becomes un- impossible, you simply dig wells and those cattle will continue to find the water. So there's always that tension point of are we a closed set or a, or a, or a centered set? Are we, are we going to find ourselves digging deeper wells or are we going to find ourselves building higher walls. 
So I want you to know that as your pastor and for here at Bethel, we've made a commitment to keep digging deeper wells. Trusting that God will continue to help sort things out. And that doesn't mean that we're at all, okay, let me be very clear. That doesn't mean we're at all vague or foggy about where things are at biblically and where those mandates and the, and, and the, and the structure that the Lord gives us in his word is foundational and unmovable and unchangeable. And we will continue to dig wells of compassion rather than build walls of condemnation. Right? Yeah? Hello? Y'all got really quiet. All right. All right. So it becomes, because then it becomes a matter of whether it's about rules or relationships. Is it, are we, are we going to focus primarily on the rules or are we going to focus primarily on the relationships? Jesus sat down with the sinners not after they had all come to him and been transformed and sanctified and were holy and walking in righteousness. He sat down with them in the midst of their sinfulness and their brokenness and had relationship with them and therefore drew them to himself and into the kingdom. So there will always be those tension points, even in our own heads. Okay, I have these tension points in my own head going on all the time. And so do you, so do we. And we're going to continue to have to navigate and negotiate through that. But we're going to continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and on his pattern in his way of living out his calling and his invitation to all to come to him. All right? Amen? Amen. Okay. So, there we go. Here's the challenge then that Jesus lays down. I love this. He responds. They, they're talking to his disciples. Jesus, on hearing this, said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. Listen to that carefully. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Okay, out of Habakkuk. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All right? So here's Jesus' mission. All right? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, over and over again, makes these declarations about who he is and what he's called to do. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The gospel writers are all very clear in their record of Jesus' teaching and their reflections on Jesus' teaching. So it is up to us as his followers to learn from him what he means when he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, Jesus isn't overturning at that point the, the, the temple sacrificial system per se. But what he's doing is he's saying, in contrast to your focus on these externals, I want to begin to shift your focus of your heart and the purpose of your heart onto the internals, onto mercy. All right? Onto mercy. So the questions come out of this. It, it, James 2, 
12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Interesting. Now, again, that doesn't mean there is a day of judgment coming. We're going to get to that. And obviously, Matthew talks about that very clearly. But in this context, in the context of our hearts and in the context of this calling to all sinners, there's a call, there's a challenge that Jesus is bringing. And the challenge is to go and to welcome and invite. That's where that inclusive part comes in when we include, then transformation can begin to happen. Yes? Church is all, you know, there's always this struggle around this. You know, we talk about belonging and believing and becoming. And there's another B that, at least in the context of which I grew up in, which was behaving. Okay? And it always began with behaving because if you behaved, perhaps we'd let you belong. <laughs> but Jesus kind of flips all that around, doesn't he? He starts with belonging. And then comes believing, and then behaving follows and becoming. Right? I'm so glad. So, my question to us this morning is have you fully received the mercy of God in your life? Have you fully received the mercy of God in your life? Last night I had the privilege of being at the launch of the new Twin Cities Justice House of Prayer. And uh, the pastor who was bringing the, the message talked about but God moments. Well, there's a huge, and he even referenced this particular scripture, but God. In verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but, be, but because of his great mercy. So backing up for a moment. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is in, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace that you have been saved. <laughs> Aren't you glad for but God? We were a mess before he came along. And we'd still be a mess if it wasn't for him. So have you fully received? So this morning, have you gotten up and started dancing with the king? Are you still sitting on the sidelines watching going, man, those people are strange, I don't know. There's an invitation today, come. Come and receive the mercy of God. The second is, have you fully released the mercy of God? Through your life. I love this scripture in First Peter. You know, I, I, I often uh, quote it. First Peter. I have a new Bible and it's got all these extra notes in it. So it messes me up when I'm trying to find it quickly. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. You know this scripture. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received, you had not received mercy, but now you have 
received mercy. Say mercy. mercy. Say mercy. mercy. Say mercy. mercy. I'm so glad for mercy. And now we get to declare mercy. We get to declare the mercy of God into the lives of people around us in the midst of a, of, of a culture which is so corrosive to people's hearts and lives. Worship team, come on up. And in the midst of all that, um, all the, the voices and all of the, uh, the distortions and all of the distractions and all of the, the stuff that tears down, we get to come and declare that there is one but God who took us from one place and brought us to another. And he can take you from one place to another. We're declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. That's what I want to be. I want to be one of them. One of those folks. How about you? Can we be a church that continues to declare and calls all? We do not exist just for those of us who are here. If it gets uncomfortable because those people are here, whoever those people are, because we all know who those people are because those people aren't us. We always know who those people are, right? Everybody knows who they are. Because they're not you. <laughs> they're not us. But Jesus is calling all. Calling you today. Can we respond today? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing this song. And if you, if you want to come to Him today, and you hear His invitation to come to me, or you're hearing His invitation to come after me, or maybe you're hearing His invitation to come with me, deeper, further. Why don't you just step out and then we're going to just pray together and we're going to close after this. And Can you reach out? Take the hand of the person next to you. Come on, all over this building, just take hands with the people around you. We're just going to do a corporate surrender. Jesus, we want to join you in your dance of freedom and hope and life and joy for the world, your dance of justice and righteousness, your dance of healing and deliverance. Jesus, we want to be those who will follow after you. Lord, we're committed. We're committed to, to going with you where you are and where you're going. Individually and corporately, Lord, we're just, we just want to go deeper. We want to be where you are, doing what you're doing, and fully and completely cooperating with you, God, in all that you are about. So continue, Lord, to lead us, and continue, Lord, to give us the, the boldness and courage to follow you where you are and where you're going. And now, people of God, as you stand with hands together. I pray that you, that we all might be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, 
to be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. Be blessed, people of God. In Jesus' name.